following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. You might have seen the movie 12 Years a Slave. It came out uh, 2014, I think, and it's a movie set in the US in the early 19th century when slavery was still legal in America. Uh, and it's, it follows a group of slaves in the, in the American South, a slave community of people working in a plantation and going through all the difficulties of life in that situation, working under some pretty horrible slave owners. And one of the features of that movie is music. And they use music, the main character is a violin player, and they have uh, groups and lovely little gospel choir and service at some point singing these, these beautiful songs, these spirituals. And the theme of the songs is always hope. And sometimes the hope that they're singing about, it's, it's a hope for the immediate situation. It's a hope for their freedom. It's a hope that life would be better for them. Uh, but sometimes the hope that they're singing about is hope that looks beyond that. It's a hope that looks all the way beyond this life to the hope of God's new creation. The hope of one day when God's going to make the world uh, all that it's supposed to be. And, and they cast their field of vision all the way to that day and sing these beautiful songs of hope. Songs like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Coming Forward to Carry Me Home, a reasonably well-known one, and many others that just capture that sense of hope. And it emerges from the suffering of these people. Out of that struggle, out of that suffering, come these extraordinary songs of hope. Uh, and it's, it's often been this way uh, through history with communities of people who have struggled and who have suffered out of that struggle, there comes this incredible hope. People of faith in times of struggle, they cast their eyes beyond the present situation to the hope of what God is going to bring about one day. And that's exactly where this passage in Isaiah that we're looking at today takes us. Uh, what Isaiah does in this passage in chapter 11 is he lifts up our eyes. And he casts that field of vision beyond just the immediate circumstances, beyond the present troubles of this life. He casts our field of vision all the way to this future day that God's going to bring about. Some people call it heaven. Uh, some people call it the new creation. Some people call it the new heavens and the new earth. But what, whatever we call it, the name's not so important as the reality of the situation, this world that God is going to bring about. And I think in the midst of the present situation that we're facing here in New Zealand and overseas in the midst of this pandemic, we need to hear this. We need to hear this message more than ever. Uh, we're not suffering and struggling as much as many people throughout history have and as much as many people throughout the world are right now. But this is still a time of struggle. This is still a time of crisis. And it's in times like this that we need to do uh, what others in the past have done and what Isaiah calls us to do, lift up our eyes and look beyond the immediate situation, look beyond the present troubles to where our hope is ultimately anchored. That's what sustains us in times like this. And this is what Isaiah does. He lifts up our eyes to look to this day when God is going to close the curtains on this present age, so to speak. Uh, this present time in history is going to come to a close and God will draw the curtains on that. But that's not the end of the story. What God will then do is he will open the curtains 
on this brand new day, a whole brand new stage of the drama, and a new world will unfold, a new creation will unfold. That's what Isaiah is picturing here. That's what God is enabling Isaiah to see, little glimpses of. And so we need to be sustained by this picture of hope for the new creation as much as those in Isaiah's day did. So let's look at some of the details in this passage. The images that Isaiah uses here are, are drawn, most of them are drawn from the animal world, the animal kingdom. And so we've got pictures here of a wolf living with a lamb, of the calf and the lion uh, being together, the leopard lying down with the goat, all these kind of pairings of animals that wouldn't normally go together. These animals that, that are used to existing in a kind of predatory relationship, suddenly those relationships are totally harmonious. And you see in the, in, in the present, at times, you hear stories of, of strange pairings of animals, don't you? That have somehow made friends, like some hamster becomes friends with a polar bear or something, and there's an inseparable bond between them. Uh, but most of the time, in the animal world, there are very clear lines, and they understand who's predator and who's prey and how the food chain works, and those boundaries are pretty clear. But Isaiah is picturing this time when these relationships that are usually characterized by, by hostility and by aggression are characterized by peace and by tranquility. And then into the middle of that scene, he places a vulnerable child. And he talks about a little child leading them, a child leading these wild and dangerous animals. And even in verse 8, I think, is the most striking phrase of all in this, in this passage. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. I mean, that is a phrase that is going to strike fear into the heart of any parent. This child placing his hand, her hand, into a, into a snake pit. Uh, it freaks us out. The, I think the closest analogy I can think of to that is our family goes to a beach in the Coromandel at summer, and you know our kids are playing in the water there, and there's always that niggle in the back of your mind that there's sharks out there. You know, there's bronze whalers swimming around, and you know they're out there, and there's always that niggle in the back of your mind when you're in the water, when your kids are in the water. Like, is this totally, fully safe? But this image is, is kind of like saying, let's just chuck the kids in a shark tank full of great whites and let them have fun and go for it and, and have a play. And it just, it freaks us out as parents to even think like that. But that's the point. That's the point of what Isaiah is saying. He's using this image that would normally be something that conjures up a lot of fear. But he's using it to illustrate the radical nature of this new world that God is going to bring about. And he's saying in this, in this new creation, in this new situation that God is one day going to bring about, all of these things that bring fear, that bring anxiety, uh, that bring, bring apprehension in the present, these things that are characterized by violence and hostility and harm and injury, all of those things are going to be radically, radically transformed in the new creation. There will be a fundamental change in the nature of things, in the structure of things. And while in the present, all of these experiences, so many of these experiences are marked by danger, that in the future, Isaiah says, in heaven, all of these things are going to be marked by peace. And really the word that covers all of that is that word shalom. You think about that word. We met that word last week. You remember we talked about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. And now Isaiah is really saying, this is the world that 
Jesus is going to bring about. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so this is the world one day when Jesus returns again, as he's going to do. This is the world that Jesus himself is going to bring about. And it's a world of shalom. It's a world of peace. And you might remember we talked about that word shalom, the Hebrew word. It means wholeness. There's that sense of completeness. Uh, something that has many complex parts to it. And all those parts are put back together and working as they should be. And so you can picture the world in the present like a complex system. Many parts, many moving parts. And in the present, there are signs that that system is, is failing, is not working as it is intended to. There is brokenness, there is dysfunction, there is disease, there is illness, there is injury, there is death. The system is, is broken. But what Isaiah is picture, picturing is a day when all these, all these parts of this complex system come together as one into a unified whole to create a system of shalom, where everything is working as it is intended to work. Now, let me point out a couple of things about this picture that Isaiah gives us. Uh, which are worth holding in our minds as we, as we try and use a bit of biblical imagination here to wrap our heads and hearts around what this is actually going to be like. Have a look at the second half of verse 9. Isaiah says there, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, notice here he uses the word earth. So he says the earth will be filled. And, and that word earth, do you know what it means? It just means earth. It means like this world, this, this place, this planet, this cosmos, this terra firma ground. This is the earth that Isaiah is talking about. So this is so important that often when we, when we picture, those of us that kind of picture this new creation of gods, we picture it, I think, a lot of the time as, as a spiritual world that we're going to one day be taken away from this earth and we'll be transported to some far off, Round this ethereal kind of existence that is called heaven, but that God will have no more use for the earth. But in scripture, in places like this and other places, the picture that we get is not of people being taken from earth to heaven. The final picture is of heaven coming down to earth. That's the picture we get at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, of heaven descending down to earth so that heaven and earth themselves are united. That's how the story is going to go. At the moment, these are two separate realms, heaven and earth. But one day, heaven and earth will be fused together. And then the words of the great 80s song by Belinda Carlisle will be fulfilled. Heaven is a place on earth. That's actually going to happen one day. She, she, she called it. Heaven will be a place on earth. Because if earth is totally flooded with the presence of God, how can it not be heaven? That's what earth will become one day. That, that's the hope we have, that one day earth will be utterly saturated with the presence of God. So the new creation is going to be this world. It's going to be this present world. And, and you look around and think, how on earth could this be? Because we see such brokenness. But this is where in our mind's eye we've got to be able to picture it. Somehow New Zealand will be part of that new world. Uh, it may not be called New Zealand. Uh, we don't know what it's going to be called. But somehow this place, these landscapes, this extraordinary beauty is going to be part of God's new creation. Uh, Wuhan, China will be part of the new creation, but it will look radically different 
to what it looks like in the present. Uh, Venice is going to be part of the new creation, but it is going to look radically different to what it looks like now. Uh, these places, we struggle to picture them as they will be, but these are not going to be places that are on lockdown, where people are in isolation, but neither are they going to be places that are crowded with tourists and therefore become congested and unenjoyable. These will be places, these places of natural beauty that will be brought to the absolute zenith of their potential and destiny. They will be spectacular in a way that we can only imagine in the present, infinitely more beautiful than they are now. And so we'll be able to explore and go to places that we've always wanted to go to in the new creation because this world will still be our home. And, and the particular emphasis I think that Isaiah is bringing out here is that this world is going to be a place of safety. It's going to be a safe place. It's going to be a secure place. That's what he's describing. These images are not just about the animal kingdom. I mean, these are, these are metaphors that get at something much deeper than that. What, he, what he's describing is a world that is finally going to be completely safe for us to inhabit. And man, don't we need that at the moment. You know, in, in this world where we feel insecure, and at the moment where a lot of people are feeling unsafe, we cast our field of vision towards the new heaven and the new earth where there is a world of total safety. That, that our bodies, we will still have bodies in the new creation, but they, they will not be subject to the kinds of decay and illness that they're subject to in the present. No more viruses. No more COVID-19. No more disease. No more sickness of any kind. Our bodies will be totally immune from any kind of disease. In fact, there won't be any kind of disease. There won't be any kinds of viruses to afflict us. That, that's not even a possibility in the new creation. Our bodies will be totally perfected in the image of God and totally suited to the conditions of the new world. No more need for surgeries. Uh, no more dodgy backs and bun knees. No more need to visit your GP unless you just want to hang out with them and chat and have coffee. And it's going to be really good coffee too, by the way. That's a central part of the new creation, good coffee. But these are the ways in which we need to be thinking about the new creation. A place of total security. No more funerals. We'll never go to another funeral in the new creation. I will never take another funeral in the new creation. Uh, because there'll be no death. There'll be no sorrow. Nothing that will make us sad. Nothing that will make you afraid. Nothing that will make you feel alone. Nothing that will strike terror into your heart in any way, at any time. Our experience will just be one of ongoing pleasure and fulfillment and deep, deep satisfaction and rest. And one of the things I'm looking forward to in the new creation is getting a good night's sleep. Having said all that, this new creation, this new heavens and new earth, is going to be a place of activity. I think sometimes we picture it like it's a very static kind of existence, as if we're just going to be sitting around and we'll have harps and playing songs. We kind of sometimes picture it like it's an endless church service, you know? And I love church services. I mean, I'm a pastor, but even I cannot handle a church service for all of eternity. That is just way, way too much. But that, those are not the kinds of images that, that we get. Passages like this one in Scripture, they describe this new world, this new creation, as a place really of endless adventure. So even though in one sense we are perfected, in one sense we, we have 
perfect knowledge. In another sense, there will always be more to discover. There will always be more adventures to be had. There will always be more to, 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 to learn and to grow and to, and to move forward into and to develop and to progress. So if you play tennis in the new creation, as I know many of you are going to want to do, it's not like you're going to have the perfect serve every time and every time you're going to ace it with your eyes closed. Because that's going to get boring, isn't it? That's going to be boring for you. It's going to be boring for your opponent. Somehow, when you play tennis in heaven, every game's going to be better than the last one. Somehow, every serve will be better than the last one. Somehow, you're still going to be able to grow and develop and work on your technique, even in heaven. And every game is going to bring you more pleasure and delight than the one before. Uh, if you love making food and cooking, and you're going to work on your culinary skills and the new creation, every dish that you make is going to be better than the one before. If that's even possible, just continuing to grow and develop and produce these unbelievably sumptuous meals. And I will be right there to taste them for you. Uh, whatever it is that we're going to enjoy, whatever it is that we're going to love, there will just be constant growing and, and developing and experiencing greater levels of joy and pleasure and adventure with these things on and on and on for eternity. Let me read you a quote from one of C.S. Lewis' books in the Narnia series. The last book in that series is called The Last Battle. And right at the end of that book, uh, he has a quote, which is kind of an, an allegory of some, some little taste of what heaven is going to be like. He says this, And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's the new creation. Every day better than the one before. Every chapter better than the one before. But here's the thing that we need to recognize with this new creation. Sometimes we can perhaps picture this as some kind of consumer paradise that's all about me. Uh, like it's this kind of selfish fulfillment of all of my desires. Like it's just going to be endless shopping malls as far as the eye can see. Like it's going to be endless days at Disneyland uh, as long as, as, as we are there. But if we're not careful, this can kind of drift into quite a self-focused form of heaven. Something that's just about fulfilling my wishes. But notice what Isaiah says in this passage. Uh, again in verse 9, he says, For the earth will be filled with what? Not shopping malls. Not Disneyland. The knowledge of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. What is going to make the new creation so spectacular is the presence of God. That's at the very heart of it. All the pleasure and the satisfaction that we derive from the new creation is going to be because we are doing these things with God, because we're doing these things for His glory, because at the very center of this, this whole complex system of shalom will be God Himself. He's the source of it all. He's at the heart of it all. Everything will flow from Him. 
Everything will, 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 will come through him and flow through him. Everything will return to him. Everything will be done for the glory of God. The presence of Father, Son, and Spirit are utterly central to what the new heavens and the new earth are all about. This is what makes the new creation as incredible as it's going to be, is that it will be totally God-centered, totally Christ-centered, totally Spirit-centered. The earth will be flooded with the presence of God like never before. The whole earth filled with the knowledge of God. So as we picture this in our mind's eye, we've got to keep God right at the center of it. This is ultimately not about us. This is about us bringing glory to God. And we will be fully alive. And we will be fully human. And we will be at the zenith of our potential. But it's all going to be in and through the triune God. He's the one who will give meaning and purpose to it all. Let's keep God at the center of the new creation. So this world that we're talking about, this world of shalom, it's hard for us to picture it. Isaiah's using some images here. He's using some metaphor, but even that, it only takes us a certain amount of the way. One writer described it like when we come to picture heaven, it's like we're looking into a fog. And we can make out some things. We can see some shapes and we can see some colors, but we, we can't see detail. And we, we can't see exactly what it's going to be like. But this is where we can use a bit of our biblical imagination to picture in our mind's eye, based on scripture, what we think this new creation is going to be like. And let me just finish by reading you one example from a writer, John Ortberg, who has a go at describing what a world that is full of shalom looks like, what this new creation could look like. And uh, see if you agree with some of what he says here. In a world where shalom prevailed, all marriages would be healthy and all children would be safe. Those who have too much would give to those who have too little. Israeli and Palestinian children would play together on the West Bank. Their parents would build homes for one another. In offices and corporate boardrooms, executives would secretly scheme to help their colleagues succeed. They would compliment them behind their backs. Tabloids would be filled with accounts of courage and moral beauty. Talk shows would feature mothers and daughters who love each other deeply, wives who give birth to their husbands' children, and men who secretly enjoy dressing as men. Disagreements would be settled with grace and civility. There would still be lawyers, perhaps, but they would have really useful jobs like delivering pizza, which would be non-fat and low in cholesterol. Doors would have no locks. Cars would have no alarms. Schools would no longer have police presence or even hall monitors. Students and teachers and janitors would honour and value one another's work. At recess, every student would get picked for a team. Churches would never split. People would neither be bored nor hurried. No father would ever again say to a child, I'm too busy. Our national sleep deficit would be paid off. Starbucks would still exist, but would only sell decaf. Divorce courts and battered women shelters would be turned into community recreation centers. Every time one human being touched another, it would be to express encouragement, affection, and delight. No one would be lonely or afraid. People of different races would join hands. They would honor and be enriched by their differences and be united in their common humanity. And in the center of the entire community would be its magnificent architect and most glorious resident, the God who fills each person with unceasing splendor 
and ever-increasing delight. That's Shalom. I don't know whether it's exactly your version of Shalom. You might disagree with some of the details. But there's a picture of what this world might look like transformed by the presence of God, the presence of Shalom. And the point is that this world will one day give way to the world that Isaiah pictured, the world that God enabled him to picture. This is, when we talk about these things, this is not wishful thinking. This is not a pipe dream. This is not like, I hope maybe one day this will happen. We have the certainty of knowing that one day that future will be here. Because of Jesus, because of his life, death and resurrection, he has set this world on an irreversible course toward that new creation. It's not something we're going to bring about in our own strength, just by progress. This is something only God can bring about, but it's a world that one day will be here. And this is not, for, 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 for those who are Christians and, and those who are not, this is not just pie in the sky when we die kind of stuff. This is not just some, some kind of whimsical talk about the future that doesn't mean anything in the present. I mean, you think again about the experience of African-American slaves. This is what gives us hope in times of struggle. The Bible describes this like an anchor for the soul. If your hope is ultimately just in the things of this world, if your hope is just in lifestyle and money and, and wealth and career and achievement and advancement and so on, those things are looking less and less secure every day. But if your hope is anchored ultimately in God and in this new creation that God is one day going to bring about, that is an anchor for your soul in the present. That sustains you during the times of difficulty because you know that hard as it may be in the present, the struggles of this life do not have the final word. The difficulties of this life do not have the final word. Brokenness and evil and sin and dysfunction do not have the final word. The evil one does not have the final word because Jesus has overcome the world and is moving history towards a day when God will be all in all and will bring this world to its glorious perfection. The more that we soak our minds in this vision, the more that we orientate our hearts in this direction, the more that it will breathe hope and security and peace and stability into our lives in the present. This is where our hope needs to be anchored. So I pray for you that in the midst of this time, we can be people of peace and that we can be people of hope because our hope's not grounded here. It's grounded in God and in the new creation. May we continue to be faithful to him. May we continue to cling to him, knowing that our God is in control, knowing that our God is on the throne, knowing that our God has his hand on this world, has his hand on history and is guiding it forward to that day of new creation, that day of the new heavens and the new earth, that day Isaiah pictured, that day that we've been talking about, that day of tremendous hope. One day, that is going to be reality. Let's aim for that day in our lives, in our hearts, in our prayers, and in our community. That is our hope. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the hope that you've allowed us to get a glimpse of in your word. Father, we don't see it all, we don't see nearly all of it, but we, we have these tastes of it. We see these glimpses of it. And God, it's enough to excite us. Lord, I pray for anyone who's listening or watching this who doesn't have that hope in their lives. 
who doesn't know you, God, in a personal and a living way. I pray, God, that, that through your word today, through this message, that you might draw them closer to yourself and that you might lead them to a place where they entrust their life to you and come to know this hope that is found only in you, Jesus. And God, for all those watching and listening who do know you, I pray this would be a time in the midst of this season and this turmoil when that hope burns in our hearts more strongly than ever before. Make us people, God, of hope. Strong, firm, secure, rock-solid hope that is grounded and anchored in you and in your word. Thank you that you are the living God. You're the God of hope. We love you and worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.